Welcome to episode number five of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. I don't know what the date was because I didn't say it in the original podcast, but I did say that Mike was feeling under the weather. I don't know why he was under the weather. I made some joke about him eating some egg salad sandwich. So here we go. Before I get into anything, let me tell you what this show is and what it is not. What this show is, is me and Mike discussing Unsolved Mystery segments, how we remember them, and us commenting on it. Uh, what this show is not is basically an upload of the Unsolved Mysteries verbatim, like the audio from the show. So if you're just stumbling across this podcast, uh, <laughs> it's not Unsolved Mysteries, the show, just the audio. Okay, so, you know, because some people have already said, like, what's this, man? This isn't, the, you know, this is a podcast of us two guys discussing the old segments. So if that's okay with you, you should really hang out and listen to what we have to say because we're both huge fans. I felt like that was necessary to get out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've gotten some, you know, criticism from some people that's just kind of, I don't really understand. You know, it, it, that's, if you don't like the show, that's fine. But if you don't like it because it's not what you think it's going to be, I, I don't know. That's kind of a problem because that's not what the show is. <laughs> We're not like, yeah, we're just going to, it's audio from the show. We yeah. get cease and desist orders probably from, from the, from Cosgrove and Moyer. Me and Mike are going <laughs> to, we're going to re reenact every single uh, segment, you know, for the audio and we're going to play the parts, all the people. Yeah, no, that's not, sorry. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's it, yeah, it's audio. What were you expecting? Uh, that would be terrible, but yeah, it would, that would be kind of funny, but at the same time, it'd be terrible that would trying be, to just, <laughs> yeah, that would be God awful. Um, uh, but this is growing though. The podcast is growing. We, we want to just, you know, genuinely thank everyone who's been listening and, uh, yeah. you know, putting in the reviews on the iTunes and put in a nice review who said it helps them on their commute to work. I love, I love the stuff like that. Cause I listen to podcasts and, and, and I like listening to, certain podcasts when i do certain things so you know that's cool that we can do that for for certain people yeah that's nice uh that means we're doing something right yeah and or or we're just the only game in town that's talking about unsolved mysteries in podcast form either way i'll take it <laughs> so will i all right so our first segment that we're going to be discussing is db cooper the infamous case uh that many know some may not know the man who uh, hijacked a plane and parachuted out of it, evading authorities, and still, uh, apparently Mike has an update for us, but apparently still has not been caught. Um, you know, some people think that he's a skyjacking mastermind, and others just think he's a basic career criminal. Well, after the end of this, you will make up your mind one way or the other, I'm sure, this man risked the lives of 42 innocent people for, I believe, $200,000, and many think he didn't even survive. So, this is what happens. Thanksgiving Eve, 1971. It's 2 p.m. A man dressed in all black, black raincoat, black tie, black hat, black sunglasses, walks into a Portland airport. Typical businessman, nothing distinctive about him, except for the fact that he's 
wearing all black. That's what, yeah, that's kind of what stood out to me is that he was just this, you know, looked like a regular businessman. Nothing really stood out to him. He didn't choose to wear a mask or anything. Just very inconspicuous. Uh, just looked like anybody you could see around the airport. Of course, nowadays with how airport security is and everything, um, everybody's suspect, I think, to a certain extent. This was a, obviously a much more innocent time. Well, even me, like I remember, you know, they, they had to, because I didn't follow the directions immediately, like, because I was trying to remember what they were trying to tell me to do. So, like, I remember, like, it was the security check or whatever. And I guess, like, I didn't step into the booth the right way. So then that automatically meant like I was going to get searched or something. So it was so awkward. They're like, take your hat off, you know, like, and like put your hands, you know, it's like, put your hands up. And, and like, I thought I put my hands up like I'm getting arrested. Because <laughs> like, I didn't know what they, what they meant. They're like, put your hands over your head. So I'm like, ah, I didn't do anything. I don't have anything on me. You know, sorry. I, I, I don't know what I did. Yeah, authority always makes me nervous, probably because I don't like authority very much, and I don't really respond to authority very much. I never have, even all the way back in my high school and middle school and elementary school days. So anytime I come in contact with authority, I always get kind of nervous because I know that they have the potential to like put me in a room that I can't escape out of. And I've been to jail before, and it's not particularly fun, so I, I don't want to go back anytime soon. So this guy, D.B. Cooper, uh, buys a plane ticket, a one-way ticket. Uh, the only name he gave was Cooper. Uh, to Seattle. Yeah, to Seattle. Uh, he inquired if the plane was a 727. Uh, this plane became notorious because it's the only airliner that a successful parachute jump can be made from the passenger cabin. So the only luggage he carried was his attache case, which... For the layman out there, that's a briefcase, basically. Yeah. Um, Florence Schaffner was the first crew member to talk to Cooper. Uh, he hands her a note, and he kept looking at her. You know, nowadays, we would call that a creeper. <laughs> Handing someone a <laughs> note. A pervert, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Handing someone a note and staring at them. I tried this at a Chili's, and it did not end up the same way <laughs> this did. Um, so, that's not how you pick up girls. No, not at all. <laughs> But it is uh, how you hijack a plane, apparently, because she. after a while, he, he uh, asked her, did you read the note? So then at that point, she reads the note, and it says, um, Miss, I have a bomb in my briefcase. I want you to sit beside me. Uh, then at that point, he opens up the briefcase, and it's like this big-ass battery with six dynamite sticks attached to it. So yeah. it, it's, a, it's the real deal. I mean, you don't want to fuck around. Definitely, it definitely looks legit. Yeah. Uh, Florence informed the flight crew about Cooper. She said she saw the bomb. The flight crew then informed air traffic control, which then in turn contacted the FBI. Uh, his demands, of course, was $200,000 cash and small bills, um, which shows you this guy might not be that bright in one sense because uh, $200,000 cash and small bills. I mean, if I've learned anything from watching this unsolved, from watching unsolved mysteries from the robbery segments and all cash is fucking heavy in large amounts. Yeah, a lot of people is. don't realize that because not a lot of us have a lot of cash, unfortunately, but it, when you start getting like hundreds of thousands of dollars of yeah. bills, it, it's fucking heavy. 
I mean, I saw one this recently. It was an armored truck sort of robbery where they broke in. You know, they I think it was it looked like an inside job and they, you know, got all the money out of the armored truck. But they had like multiple people there and they had to literally there was like. Like probably like it was eleven million dollars or something like that. So they they took like five to ten minutes just unloading all of these uh, boxes of cash. It, it was crazy. Yeah. So it was a really heavy amount of money. So and they and they just eventually just they after a certain point uh, they just left all of the small bills in their getaway car and then they just fled. So yeah, I mean even even the robbers are like fuck the small bills. <laughs> we don't have fucking time, and they're they're too heavy. So I guess nowadays uh, they, the the hijacker would just request two hundred thousand dollars in bitcoins to be transferred to his uh, digital account. Or, or or you know why didn't he request it for uh, two hundred thousand dollars in the hundreds? I mean I don't know why he didn't ask for that. That would what wouldn't be as heavy. Yeah so. yeah once you start going into denominations of uh, one hundred dollar bills that that pile of money gets a lot smaller because it's actually not that much. I've seen a hundred thousand dollars in 100s before and it's actually a tiny little pile it's not nearly as large um so anyway so, yeah so uh, he also asked for four parachutes uh, yeah two front pack and two backpack now unbeknownst to him and the authorities one of the parachutes was not going to open under any circumstance they were afraid that he was wanting the parachutes because he was possibly going to take some hostages yeah he demanded that the crew um or the the passengers not be notified about the situation. So he didn't want the passengers to be notified, probably because, as we saw during September 11th, uh, when when the crew or when the passengers did know about the plane that ultimately flew into that field in Pennsylvania, they, you know, it's pretty much accepted at this point that the passengers rose up and and uh, bum rushed the hijackers and caused the plane to crash in Pennsylvania. That yeah. might have been a similar situation here. So he didn't want the passengers knowing. Um, everybody just, you know, waited by like normal, just thought it was a delay. In fact, D.B. Cooper ordered two bourbon and waters. Yeah. Uh, the FBI asked the airline what their approach to the hijacking was going to be. Did they want to pay the ransom? And this is something that I didn't know, but apparently that's an option that the victim has in one of these cases instead of the FBI. But, of course, the airline said, yes, we do wish to pay the ransom. And each one of those bills, uh, the serial number was photographed, which, I mean, again, like just the amount of time and effort that went into doing something like that is just crazy. Um, yeah, the, these uh, these bills were carried on board by a flight attendant. They were $10,020 bills assembled in straps of 100 bills to a strap and individual straps held together with rubber bands. The money alone, just the currency, weighed 21 pounds. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're if you're talking about skydiving out of a plane, I mean, adding that much more weight on you, is, it's, it's got to throw you off in some way or another. Um, the um, hijacker instructed that everyone stay uh, or on the runway uh, and not taxi up to the terminal. Um it, it, at 5.43, the plane landed at the Seattle airport, and they parked in a remote area of the runway. Um, the, the, all the money and, air, and parachutes and all that was brought onto the airplane by one of the flight attendants. 
Um, as I said, the four parachutes was delivered, but one was defective, mm -hmm. and the passengers remained oblivious to everything going on. I know that's the thing; like everyone's just oblivious to everything. Like they they were interviewing some people, it was like, oh, I was just thought it was just a normal delay. Which and honestly, just, I probably would too. I'm pretty oblivious yeah, to my surroundings. I would be too, but at the same time, if it went a little bit longer, and didn't it go on longer than a normal sort of? delay and especially if the did did db order the you know the pilot to say oh yeah we have a little bit of a delay right now uh you know waiting for fuel or waiting for some other plane to get out of the runway or something if yeah. i never heard that over the loudspeaker i would definitely after a certain amount of time get kind of freaked out and be like okay what is going on here I haven't heard anything from the pilot we're still here well, I hate flying so much that, like, just to be back on the ground again, I wouldn't give a fuck what the excuse <laughs> was. I'd just be glad to not be in the air anymore. And then you find out later, oh, it was because there was some guy who hijacked the plane. They were like, oh. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, I'm never flying again, so whatever state <laughs> I'm in right now, I'm just making a new life here. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah. So when the passengers got off the plane, then finally they were met by FBI agents, only to realize that their lives were in real mortal danger. Yeah. And that was terrifying. <laughs> you know, funny enough, none of the passengers remember anything about the man with the briefcase. They did they because he was so inconspicuous. They, yeah. they didn't they couldn't tell the FBI any information. Uh, D.B. Cooper ordered the plane to take off with the back stairwell down. You know, he argued back and forth with the pilot, and finally the pilot said, I, I don't I, I don't care what you say, I'm not going to attempt to take off with the damn stairwell out, you know, on the plane. So finally Cooper agreed, fine, for takeoff you can have the, the door closed, but then he was going to open it. Yeah. At, at 7.37 the flight, uh, p.m., the flight took off, and they were going directly into a storm on their flight path. D.B. Cooper told the stewardess to go to the cockpit and close the curtains. Um, now, I thought the actor that they had play D.B. Cooper was really good. Yeah, um, he was. He was yeah. very, he, 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 he very much expressed that uh, angry, nervous, uh, very in control kind of uh, personality yeah, he, you, ex he you would oozed, expect. He oozed charisma and like coolness. You know, he was just very calm and cool and collected and uh there was some nervousness that he was having but it didn't seem like he was like this is out of his control or this it, it does did kind of look like he was kind of something he did before you know like it was like i kind of done something like this before but at the same time there are questions they were like well why did he ask for 20 dollar bills you know his denomination and 20 dollar bills or and stuff like that but the way that they kind of portrayed the guy kind of he kind of reminded me of like a veteran you know yeah like this is not the first time he's done something like this so at some point as they're flying the uh crew up in the cockpit noticed the light flashing that was indicating that the hijacker was attempting to operate the door back in the cabin at 8 12 the flight crew said they were experiencing a rapid change in air pressure uh, compared to, like, an ear-popping sensation. And I always hate that when that happens. <laughs> you yeah. know, even when they're going up in elevation when you're just driving around, you know, that's that's one of my least favorite things about flying. So, yeah, I can deal with it more than Josh over here, 
but yeah, I, there's stuff that I definitely don't like about flying, and you know, the, the ear popping is one of them. And then the same, and also, yeah, sometimes the people you're with on the plane, not really a big fan of that sometimes. And sometimes the people you're with are kind of obnoxious, or you have the baby behind you, or kids kicking your seat. So, yeah. Yeah, there's some bridges here in my in my hometown that are so high up that like when you when you when you are driving up the bridge. Like about halfway up the bridge, you get the ear popping sensation, which is another thing I don't enjoy about Jacksonville is all the goddamn bridges everywhere that are <laughs> high as fuck. Nice. Bridgeville. Yeah. Uh, is that, is that, does that sound like it should be called Bridgeville instead of <laughs> Jacksonville? Well, actually, not to get off topic, but Jacksonville was named after Andrew Jackson. And since they're replacing Andrew Jackson with Harriet Tubman, uh, a, a lot of people jokingly started calling it Tubville. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I'm neither here nor there on that. But um, yeah, so anyway, somewhere over the forest of southern Washington, this crazy motherfucker jumped out of the plane and was apparently, never seen. Yeah, apparently never still wearing his, yeah, apparently still wearing his sunglasses, too. So he was wearing his sunglasses at night. Cue, cue <laughs> the Will Smith uh, clip from Independence Day where he puts, or no, from Men in Black, where he puts on sunglasses and goes, the difference between you, is, you and me is I make this look damn cool or whatever he says. <laughs> damn good. Yeah. The difference yeah. between you and me is I make this look damn good. Or That's the cool. Corey Hart song, you know. I wear my sunglasses, sunglasses at night. Yeah. <laughs> That that's one of those songs that like that that hook is really cool and then the rest of the song is ruined. It's just yeah, yeah it's, it's it's pretty lame. The rest it's, of the song just is downhill. With the guy <laughs> it's like wow, you just took a really cool like uh, hook and just ruined it by everything else. <laughs> so um, some dude, of the dude, that fits for uh, DB Cooper. Don't mess around with the guy in shades. <laughs> Don't mess the around with the guy in shades. Uh, we just lost four listeners just then when I started singing. Um, <laughs> probably more than four. Probably half. Uh, um, so somewhere over uh, the fourth Southern Washington, he jumped. Some theories are, of course, that he survived. Um, the guy, One of the guys they had on the show, because you know, Unsolved Mysteries is pretty famous for this, they have the, uh, the opposing opinion mm-hmm. and the uh, confirming opinion. So the guy who believed he survived... You know, he was saying, we don't know what he was wearing underneath his clothes. He could have had a pair of long underwear on. He could have survived the elements. Uh, he could have had a cigarette lighter, you know, to make a fire. He could have had a knife. Uh, he could have had essential survival tools to yeah. uh, survive in the wild. It, it was possible. Now He was, he was also thinking that uh, if he went down the water... He says he he says something like you've got to know how to manage that parachute. You can use it for some flotation. He says now his life expectancy is not going to be very long in that water. It's cold, and you have to think of the time of year it was in. So you probably had a very, very few minutes to get on shore. But I think he could have done this. And then the, some people did witness a large white object that was seen floating in Lake Merwin, uh, which is near where he uh, dived out of the plane. But divers found nothing. Yeah, so it's also thought that he could have buried the chute, you know, and whatever. Um, 
the theories that he didn't make it, of course, was the fact that, you know, they, they theorize that when he landed, he could have gotten injured. Uh, yeah. He didn't have any water and he perished in the forest. Um, I mean, the only way uh, the only way he wouldn't have made it is if he just didn't land correctly and died on impact. That's the only yeah. way I think he could. And I think he would have found the body by now. Right. I, I, that's the thing. I mean, they, they did a big search and they searched the area where it would be more than likely where he would have fell, you know, where he would have landed. I don't think there's any other way, any other place that he would have landed than this particular area. Yeah, and this, um, this isn't like the Alcatraz case where the guys who escaped from Alcatraz, they had to search a fucking San Francisco Bay, which is just all water, and it's nearly impossible to pinpoint... Almost just the ocean, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's impossible to pinpoint, you know, want, like a, a particular area in the ocean and drag the, you know, or just drag the entire area to look for bodies. This is this is a forest. Yeah, there are rivers, but this is more foresty. There's more land. I mean, you're talking like critters from the wilderness that could have uh, potentially, uh, you know, found his bones or hunters or any, yeah. anything. I mean, there could, you, this is this is a uh, this is something where you feel like you would have found more than what was found, which we learn later on a placard from the same plane that he hijacked was found. Um, I believe it was um, on February 10th, 1980, on the shore of the Columbia River, 20 miles from Cooper's Jump Point. Um, yeah, that one. Yeah, that was definitely pretty. Yeah, was that the one where they found the the kid? The people found the. Uh... No, I think that was in 1978. In November 1978, a hunter deep in the Washington forest discovered a plastic sign from a 727 that right. had been ripped from the lower stairwell of Flight 305. Like, that did stand out to me. I'm like, why is that there? Well, it, yeah, and I mean, it, and and they were kind of saying, like, using that as, like, see, he's dead, you know, but it's like, well, what does that have to do with anything? The sign just fell yeah. off. That has nothing yeah, to do with the Bible. What, you think he took the sign with him as a souvenir? Yeah, he would have never, <laughs> he would have never wanted to go on without that souvenir, so there's no way he would have survived, you know, like. He, what is D.B. Cooper just a hardcore like plane aficionado who's in, like into hardcore collectibles like uh, you know I gotta bring this to the next uh, 727 plane swap meet to show everyone um, <laughs> but no the, probably for me a more compelling um, uh, possibility for his death is the next little factoid which is what well, I was well they found the money right. so there's this 15 months later an even more dramatic discovery was made on February 10th 1980, a family was preparing a barbecue on the shore of the Columbia River, 20 miles southwest of Cooper's supposed jump point. They planned to dig a fire pit, but they dug up something else. Stacks of water, logged bills, totaling the $5,880. Agent Himmelsbach confirmed that it was part of Cooper's ransom. There were 294 bills found, and all the serial numbers are on the ransom list. So that money is definitely positively identified as having come from that particular ransom money. But this other guy who's the, the guy who's going by, you know, the idea that Cooper lived, he says, you know, it doesn't prove that Cooper perished. I mean, they did not find $200,000. Where's the rest of the money? That's what I want to know. And I agree. I mean, where is the rest of the money? 
But then again, they go on to say none of the money has ever turned up in circulation. But then yeah. again, but then again, it's like, how could you even know that? Yeah. I mean, okay. He could have just took if, it to Mexico somewhere well, or if the, over, if, overseas, some other country. If the guy was smart enough to hijack a plane and get away with it, obviously he's smart enough to spend his money in places where they're not going to be looking, you know, looking for that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know. They say it's never turned up in, in circulation, but again, it's like there's so much money in circulation. How, are, yeah, how can you keep track of that? Yeah, who's yeah. monitoring that? You know, what if he, what if he went to cash only places and just paid in cash? They stick the cash in their register. I mean, how long is it going to take for that? $10 bill to make its way to the FBI who's keeping an eye out for it. I mean, if we can't even keep people from terrorizing us and, you know, these domestic, uh, you know, things from happening, how, how are we monitoring, you know, all these bills, you know, I mean, back, back like now I could maybe see, cause there'd be some kind of like yeah, computer, you computer know, generated algorithm or something. But yeah. back, back then in the fucking seventies no. now, no, there's that. I, I don't think you could you could keep up with that. So I mean, that's not a compelling enough. Exactly reason. because there's a lot of robberies that happened around that time that they probably did not find the money in circulation either. So, and also you know they're they're not going to try to encourage this behavior on unsolved mysteries. So they're not no. going to like make it seem like it was a good idea. They're not, they're not going to make it seem like it's yeah, a visible th th thing. They might've found money in circulation, but they don't want to, you know, put that out there. You know, they don't want to be like, yeah, he, he got away. <laughs> now he's there, still out there. There was a guy named, find him. there was a guy named Richard McCoy who, yeah. Uh, extorted uh, half a million dollars from another plane, and he and it was hijacked five months after the Cooper incident. Yeah. He was apprehended uh, and escaped from jail and and died in a uh, gun battle with the FBI. In a gun battle with the FBI, and he actually matched the description of DB Cooper, and uh, he was a uh, retired uh, military, I believe. Or yeah, or... yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he was a flight group former Green Beret. Yeah. So a lot of people think, well, maybe this guy was was D.B. Cooper. But then Florence Schaffner went on to say the composite actually didn't really look like, you know, the guy that she saw. So maybe it was two different people, but. And also on uh, this is a completely different show, but uh, there was a short lived uh, re uh, new version of In Search Of that used to air on the sci fi channel. Back when it was still S-C-I-F-I, -I, you know, not S-Y-F-Y, -Y, you know, whatever it is now. Yeah. Back when the sci-fi channel was actually good and cool and, you know, actually was worth watching. So it was hosted by Mitch Pileggi. Shocker. You know, he, was, he was known for, he was known as Horace Pinker in the film Shocker. He was also in X-Files. He played uh, one of the, played Skinner. And... They met, there was one of those segments that mentioned D.B. Cooper. And what's kind of interesting about that is they were talking about the, some some possibility that D.B. Cooper survived and that there was this guy who this woman knew who kind of fit the description. And, and I don't have it as clear. I wish I watched it again. Um, but uh, that was pretty interesting, too. But it was a lot of just, oh, this woman is saying this and I don't know. You know, some people that just just want to be on TV. Right. So, 
Yeah, and if, if a show can't get super credible witnesses, they'll kind of start grasping at straws and kind of get anyone they, they can who's lo- loosely affiliated with it to get, you know... I've seen that happen before with certain shows. They can't really get the expert big names, so they kind of just settle for eyewitnesses who, you know, may or may not have much credibility. Yeah. Unsolved Mysteries will go out and tell you if if the person that they're interviewing, you know, is uh, is credible or if his credibility is more iffy, which we'll get into in our later segment, uh, Roswell with Bob Lazar. But anyway... Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Florence, she says she feels she worked with Malin Coleman, a forensic artist. They created a new portrait of D.B. Cooper. Uh, She said Cooper's is a face she'll never forget because she doesn't believe the composite looks like him. The hair does not look like him. The face does not look like him. So she said it's still strong on my mind. I remember everything, the color of his eyes, the color of his eyebrows and his features. And I'm like, I don't see. That's kind of how long was she? interacting with this guy and how long ago did it happen and you know that's the kind of thing how much does your brain actually remember how exactly how somebody looks like well you know what's crazy is like a lot of times on unsolved mysteries you'll see um they'll they'll use uh hypnotists and the yeah. amount of information these people are able to recall is crazy you know it I, is. I almost want to get put under hypnosis so i can you know, recall information, you know, from my, just to see if it works, you know. And then there'll be some crazy thing where you're, you remember some abduction story or something. And then, you know. No, no, <laughs> knowing me and my uninteresting life, it'll be like, oh, that's where I left my keys at one time. Now I remember. <laughs> but uh, speaking of sci-fi Sounds like real my quick, boring uh, ass dreams. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of the sci-fi channel, remember that show Sliders back in the day? Yeah. 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 I did, I did, sorry, I got in left field on that one, but uh, yeah, I remember. I remember that show. I remember that show it was pretty awesome. But anyway, um, so you know, this whole DB Cooper thing, uh, it, it's really become a legend. A lot of people are very fascinated by it. A lot of people, uh, it, it, it's it's kind of you know, it, there's this weird thing in the United States or maybe in other countries, but I can only speak for the country I live in. We tend to like stories like this because uh, yeah. really nobody got hurt um, and it's kind of a screw you to the government to a certain... There was a movie too. I haven't seen it yet. I know it stars Treat Williams though. Treat Williams plays D.B. Cooper and I like Treat Williams as an actor because I liked him in films like uh, Deep Rising and uh, he was hamming it up in The Phantom but I, I enjoyed him in that too. You guys so. can't tell Mike is the movie guy and I'm I'm the game guy. <laughs> I don't know who any of these people are. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I think it was called like the mysterious case of DB Cooper or something. Uh, but yeah, I think it's fascinating because of the fact that he just disappeared without a trace. I mean, nothing of his clothing, his body wasn't found. There wasn't anything like that found anywhere. They found some money and they found something from the stairwell of the plane. But that's all they found. And, you know, that whole catch me if you can type thing, the whole idea that there's a criminal who, like, outsmarted everybody and is still out there. It's fast. It's it's as interesting as it's the Zodiac case, but it's less lethal. Well, I was going to compare it to again. I was going to bring it back to the Alcatraz thing. You know, well, it's definitely that. I mean, it's definitely you could definitely make that comparison as well. Because it's like again in the Alcatraz thing, it's like an underdog story. You know, like nobody really got hurt, and it just you know it's impressive uh-huh. to see 
uh, human ingenuity at its at its most evil or at its most ingenious, whatever yeah. take you want to take on it. I mean, I think the fact that he went out of his way not to hurt anybody. I mean, obviously he had the bomb on the plane and everything, but I mean, I don't I don't think he wanted to use it. You know, he wanted to get his money, which he did. And um, dude, I remember seeing something on this a long time ago, and they like opened up like a fucking restaurant in Florida or something. It's called <laughs> DB, DB Cooper's or something like that. Uh, I, sh I shit you not. Like, there's this over whole in Florida, of course. Where, yeah, where you're at. <laughs> Yeah, my home state, <clears throat> not not so, uh, you know, that's what we have uh, uh, as restaurants named after notorious criminals. As comedian Bill Burr once put Florida, a sunny place for shady people. <laughs> <laughs> but um, maybe, yeah. it was, maybe it was owned and operated by D.B. Cooper himself. You know, uh, <laughs> hi hiding in plain sight kind of deal. Yeah, you never know. Um, sounds, if, sounds like a good you know idea for like a movie or something like some notorious criminal just hiding in plain sight and nobody seems to know so if your life depended on it mike and someone held a gun to your head and said do you think he lived or or, or died what what would you what would you I, I i would probably say i think he survived because there's not enough because first off there's no there no body was found and but at the same time i it's kind of iffy because it's been so long and i haven't found i got any more leads so you said you had an I, update to this right yeah uh as far as the fbi is concerned the mystery of db cooper skyjacker extraordinaire is going to say stay unsolved it's been 45 years no one has ever conclusively been fingered as cooper though there have been many solid suspects and the case is too cold to ever revive and from the FBI's announcement about the closure, this is the actual this is the actual statement from the FBI. Following one of the longest and most exhaustive investigations in our history, on July 8, 2016, the FBI re redirected resources allocated to the D.B. Cooper case in order to focus on other investigative priorities. During the course of the 45-year Norjack investigation, the FBI exhaustively reviewed all credible leads coordinated between multiple field offices to conduct searches, collected all available evidence, and interviewed all identified witnesses. Over the years, the FBI has applied numerous new and innovative investigative techniques, as well as examined countless items at the FBI laboratory. Evidence obtained during the course of the investigation will now be preserved for historical purposes at FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. So... <laughs> That's funny to me that you said they're going to stop uh, utilizing resources, in case, aka money and manpower. So this whole time they've still been spending money on solving this case. Like, that's that's crazy to me. Yeah, but it is one of the most infamous and well-known uh, crime cases in the United States. So I could see why they would spend that much time and money trying to finally solve it. Because as far as the FBI is concerned, that would be a huge victory for them, even if it was years later. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I, I guess if you have to put a gun to my head, I, I mean, I was kind of going with the whole he's alive. But then I'm like, I don't know. I think that's the main thing. It, it's it's in it's it, I'm in the middle. Like he could be dead. But then again, he could be still alive. He could have been that guy who was shot by the police. Or, you know, he could be, 
you know, looking at the news and laughing his ass off. Be like, I got away with it. He never caught me and he never will. Well, that's like that show, uh, you know, the world's most dangerous police chases. They only show you the police chases where they apprehend the criminals. They don't show you the police chases where the criminal gets away, which does happen. They just don't it, want it happens to, a lot. Yeah, they, they just don't want you to know that. No. So it is possible for people to commit huge crimes and get away with them and never get caught. I mean, they just that law enforcement and for good reason you know they just don't want people to believe that because obviously if that was perpetuated then people would just go out and try it you know more more and more i mean i i have a conscience so i i wouldn't do it anyway but even if i did i wouldn't just for the simple fact that i feel like i would get caught yeah because i am a dumbass and i know (laughs) i would fuck it up somehow and so yeah there you go (laughs) So do we have anything else on the D.B. Cooper case that we want to talk I about? I really don't have anything else to say, uh, except, you know, yeah, don't mess around with a guy in the shades. <laughs> Good Lord. All righty, moving on to our next case, we have the Black Widow, Marie Hilly. This is an interesting case because it was uh, featured on Saw Mysteries at first when they were covering uh, Diabolical Minds. It was, I think it was a whole episode. It was just about diabolical minds, and it didn't just focus on... It really didn't... It was different for Unsolved Mysteries because there wasn't a lot of unsolved cases that they were covering. They were taught... They uh, they profiled other people, including G. Daniel Walker, which is pretty crazy. This is a guy who was a uh, confirmed sociopath and with psychopathic tendencies, who had robbed a bunch of things and done a lot of stuff and was in jail for a long time, and uh ted bundy they profiled him and saddam hussein they actually profiled as a diabolical mind uh and hitler and uh then they covered uh, marie hilly uh because they wanted to be you know they wanted to include both genders and wouldn't just be like oh it's all about men and only men are crazy uh which is definitely not the case as uh shown by stuff with uh the uh the case this particular case and the one where i uh i did a video about uh the baskins the baskin family um that's a pretty crazy case too so this is about a notorious sociopath named marie Marie hilly Yes, uh, Frank frank and marie hilly were high school sweethearts uh they built a life and they were the envy of Anniston, Alabama. Uh, they had two kids, Carol and Mike. Oh, mm. nice name. <laughs> yeah. uh, Marie was Sounds a familiar. Marie was a perfect wife, except for her tendency to overspend. But appearances do deceive. Uh, the son Mike started having stomach problems two or three months after an insurance policy was taken out taken out on him for twenty five thousand dollars. Doctors could not diagnose his stomach ailments, and they oddly went away when he left home for school. When he left, then the husband, Frank, mysteriously took ill. At that point as well, their marriage started to fall apart. When um, Frank came home one day and he informed his son Mike about this, he found Marie in bed with one of her employers. Now, why he didn't 
beat someone's ass in that case. I don't know, but he just was like, that is, that is an interesting, you know, uh, little point that kind of is overlooked about this case. Yeah. The fact is like, why did he stay with her after that? Why didn't he kick some ass or, you know, do something? I mean, when I say kick some ass, I'm not saying beat her ass. Yeah. I'm I'm saying, saying I'm saying he should have beaten the guy's ass. Not, I'm not advocating violence uh, against women in any way. Uh, but but it does tend to happen in those those situations, although it's it's probably not the right thing to do. Or he could beat her ass with, uh, you know, with a piece of paper in terms of the divorce papers. Right. Not like actual physical beating. Well, actually, yeah. In cases like that, where the, the spouse like cheats on the uh, the husband, uh, you know, it's it's the divorce is always. Well, I don't know this for sure. Some people out there might disagree if they've gone through this themselves but uh it's usually in favor of the person who was cheated on you know because like the yeah. infidelity you know that's 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 a no-no and, and you don't but, you like, know some people you know they just it's they're raised a certain way and it's like you just stick through it you you stick with the marriage even though it's falling apart oh and, god you know, ain't ain't that the truth especially yeah. the, the old school generation i mean my my gra- uh my step grandfather, I should say, uh, is is a piece of shit, and my grandma, who's who's passed away since uh, then or now, or she's dead. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um. She <laughs> she stayed with my step grandfather, uh, forever, and and that's just that's just how, uh, especially the the earlier generations, that's just how they were brought up, and it was seen as. Uh, a very big social no-no to to be divorced. Um, Sounds like that a similar case here, right? I mean, it's it's very common, and you know, Marie Hilly, the kind of psycho, oh, it's a kind of sociopath she yeah. was. Uh, that would have affected her status and her how she looked to the community. So sh- she didn't want that. She she placed a high value on prominence and reputation, and a divorce would have destroyed that. Exactly. So within two weeks of it confiding in Mike, uh, Frank mysteriously uh, got worse. Uh, yeah. When he was in the hospital, Marie never left his side. She tenderly took care of him. Mike thought maybe this would be the catalyst that would bring them closer together. Yeah. And then Frank died on May 25th, 1975. The official cause was hepatitis, but nobody suspected what really happened. Now, they have a a psychologist that they interview in the segment who explains that the sociopath will love you for what you can do for them. Not who you you are or what you are. When you become no longer necessary, they will just throw you away. And if that means murder, so be it. Uh, Maurice... Typical sociopathic behavior. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there that it's kind of hard for you to know who's a sociopath and who isn't. And, you know, you can be working with a sociopath and you don't know it. Sociopath, can, you could can be married to one. You know, your parents could be one. And sociopaths are not the same as psychopaths. And I think that's something that needs to be uh, definitely needs to be pointed out because there's a lot of people who are kind of just a lump different sort of mental illnesses and stuff into one category. They're all just crazy. You know, psychopaths, sociopaths, they don't have any emotion. They, they, they don't have any emotional connection with other people. They look at the world as just, you know, their playground and they don't care about any consequences that would happen with their actions. 
They probably don't even think there are any consequences. You know, it's funny you say you shouldn't lump everything, uh, all mental disorders into one chunk. Uh, going back to the case we talked about last week with the um, woman who uh, uh, was scared to death, uh, yeah. who, who actually ended up, uh, who was believed to have killed herself. Her, yeah. I thought it was funny that her uh, therapist said uh, it was the fact that nobody believed her that, ultimate dro- that ultimately drove her crazy. And I just thought it was funny that a ther- uh, a, a, psycho- a psychologist used the term crazy because yeah. most yeah. trained most people trained in the mental health industry or, or profession, not industry, the profession they, they don't use the word crazy to de- uh, define somebody with mental illness. So I, I just thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, but no, I I definitely uh, I definitely have no- I can honestly say I have known two sociopathic women in my life. Uh, they were friends of mine. Thankfully, they weren't my parent or a girlfriend or anything like that. But uh, no, I've known two women who would literally uh, tell you whatever you want to hear to ingratiate themselves to you. And they wanted they were everything to everyone. And secretly, they were doing all this nefarious shit. So, I mean, th- this is definitely uh, the worst kind of person as far as uh, mind manipulation and, and someone that you would... You know- it's crazy. Sociopaths are, are like, and like what people never expected. It was Marie, you know, no one would ever think she would do anything like, you know, what she would end up doing. And that's because, you know, they, they give this appearance like they're a upstanding part of, you know, society or, or they're, uh, they're well-known and well-respected individuals in their community. And, you know, psychopaths, I think psychopaths are, are a lot different. You can kind of tell who's a psychopath and who isn't. Sociopaths are a little bit harder to to identify right from the get-go. And that's terrifying to me because they're kind of like chameleons in that sense. You just don't – it's really hard to tell until it's already too late and you've already been – you're already, you've already been killed by one or you've already been screwed by a sociopath. Well, the, the only thing convenient is in this country, we do have uh, a, a retention facility that keeps most of our sociopaths. So it's convenient for us to know where they are. And that would be Washington, D.C. Boom. I just went political on your ass. <laughs> the Uncovering Unsolved Mysteries podcast just went political. No, I'm just joking. But but I'm not joking. Most politicians are sociopaths, um, uh, especially a certain one running for the presidency. I won't name any names. But um. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess you could say they both are. Um, so, anyway, Marie spent very little time mourning after her husband passed away. The proceeds from his life insurance totaled $30,000. Marie re- refurbished her house, bought a car, draped herself in expensive clothing and, and accessories. And um, Various businesses started filing complaints, though, because she wasn't able to pay her bills. She owed more than what she had. And what's uh, crazy, too, is she would uh, try to pawn off these gifts and these baubles and these expensive stuff that she bought as like, oh, my son is will pay for them. Right. So she's like, oh, Mike, you know, you, you need to, you know, he's going to pay for it. So then Mike, of course, finds out about this and he has the same reaction that this Mike would have and being like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> like, is this bullshit? 
I don't, I don't have the money to pay for this. What the hell? Well, it's essentially uh, it's essentially stealing his identity. You know, I mean, yeah. his good reputation. I mean, that's what she did. She, it's like what the guy said. He was just uh, a, a resource to be exploited. You know, it didn't yeah. matter that it was it, it was her own son. Yeah, and then uh, I, I love the I love the reenactment stuff, especially the actress who plays Marie. She's great in this. She really is. And, uh, you know, this whole scene where Mike is basically telling, you know, he basically has to force his mom. It's like, if I have to carry you into the car to go to the bank or whatever, you know, I, I will do it because you're paying me back. <laughs> yeah, he wanted he wanted her to cash in uh, his father's stocks. And she said, yeah. I will not do it. That is the last. That's all the money I have left in the world and I will not spend it. So now all of a sudden be she becomes the money miser, the penny pincher, the skin flint. Uh, you yeah. know, then now all of a sudden she doesn't want to spend money, you know, so, which is, you know, again, sociopathic manipulation to just get him off of her back. Um, and, and like you said, he, he goes, if I literally have to pick you up and put you in the car, we're going to the bank. There are no questions. Well, right after that, that. He, right just after imagine that, that just picking you know, up so, mom and just, yeah, throwing her in the car. So after that, uh, he ate breakfast, which she cooked. And as he put it, he goes, I, I got sicker than I had ever been. So, I mean, you're starting to kind of see what's starting to happen. Yeah. Mike returned to Florida and recovered. At this point, Mike had a wife and, kid, uh, and kids. Um, his mm -hmm. sister, Carol, though, uh, continued to get uh, sick. So now his sister, she, who still lives there... Was yeah, she was so sick that uh, it, she her spinal system was completely disabled, so she was, like, paralyzed. Yeah, she was spending six months in and out of the hospital. Uh, and then finally, Marie, the mother, tells Carol, her daughter, about some experimental medicine that her friend told her about and that she was going to inject her with this medicine. But the only condition was Carol couldn't tell anybody. Yeah. Ooh. This, th th that scared me. That, that was pretty scary. That, that reminded me of, you know, kind of stuff you'd see like in a Stevie King story or something. Well, it reminds you know. me of that movie, the sixth sense, like, yeah, the sixth sense. Yeah. When, when, uh, you know, uh, Haley Joel Osment's character goes over to the house yeah. And uh, he sees the dead girl under the bed and she uh, points him to a box. And in the box is a videotape of her playing with her dolls. And then she hears her mom coming. So she runs and acts like she's asleep in bed. And her mom is uh, putting poison in her soup right in front of the yeah. camera. And yeah. he plays the tape and the father finds out what blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. This this again kind of plays into that whole Munchausen syndrome thing I was talking about a while back where, you know, the mom will keep the kids ill to bring attention to herself. But in Marie's case, she just wanted the damn money. She didn't care about the attention. Um, so exactly. after after injecting her with this experimental medicine, um, you know, Mike remembered that the aunt uh, was telling uh his aunt basically said that Marie was keeping Carol in seclusion and not letting anybody see her. Yeah. Um, Mike, so he feared for her life, of course. Right. But not at first, though. Like, he didn't put the two and two together that his his father died, and then four years later, Carol's getting sick. At first, yeah. he wasn't able to put the two and two together. But then when he finally does, he demands he demanded that the, the hospital re-examine Carol. Upon doing this, 
The doctors checked for telltale signs of arsenic poisoning, which are these unmistakable white lines across the fingernails. I thought that was a pretty cool scene yeah. in the segment yeah. where they showed that, you know, because everyone has gotten those little white dots under their fingernails. <laughs> I believe it, it, yeah. it means that you're lacking in calcium or vitamin C. Yeah. It's a vitamin deficiency, but yeah. anyway, um, it, it's at that point that, uh, it, the secret was out, you know, that Mike knew it, it was it was Marie. Marie was doing it the whole time. And um, he had to reexamine everything that his mom taught him at that point. I mean, think about that. Really think about that. You find out your mom killed your dad, essentially, was making everyone else sick. I mean, you have to reexamine everything that you're you taught. killed you. Yeah, easily. If you didn't if you did, if Mike had left for college or whatever, you know. And it's that one of those, probably would have killed him. It's one of those moments where the light bulb goes on in your head and you're like, holy shit, she killed my dad. And yeah. it all starts making sense. When and that's starts... not something that any any son, daughter would ever want to experience or feel or think when it comes to their own mother. Like, that's just a nightmare. Right. So Jack Levin, another uh, another uh, psychologist in the segment that they interview, says a woman sociopath is someone who leads a double life. They fool family and friends, often the last person you suspect at all. So in 1979, Marie was arrested for passing off bad checks. And that arrest probably saved Carol's life because Marie wasn't able to inject her with this bullshit. So basically, at that point, a warrant was put out for Marie's arrest. Before that happened, Mike wanted to commission a second autopsy for her, for her for the dad. Marie quietly right. slipped out of town two weeks before the results were released. And then after that, the arrest warrant was issued for charging Marie with the murder of her husband. She had disappeared and seven mi 700 miles away from Anniston in Florida. Fort Lauderdale, Florida, right. my state yet again, Marie Hilly resurfaced as Robbie Hannon. And this gentleman named John Holman, as they say, was pleased to meet her. Robbie told John that she was a widow who was going to inherit a vast estate and she had a life-threatening brain cancer. So this guy that she, I guess, met at a bar uh, became basically her next target. I liked how they described this whole, this whole scenario. Like She was like the perfect thing, you know? She, had, she was rich... She had money. She was sick. She's going to die soon. The possibilities seemed <laughs> endless. <laughs> just like, <laughs> just, just that, that, that cracked me up. Dude, they have, the, they have such great lines in that show from time to time. Um, they had one in the Brandon Lee segment uh, where he's explaining uh, how a blank works in a gun. And <laughs> Robert Stack's like uh, talking about how a bullet works. And he's like, simple deadly <laughs> it's just just awesome we'll have to do we'll have to cover the brandon lee segment because that's a really good one too yeah um, that is anyway um <clears throat> she so, had blonde hair and everything she changed so, her look up the actress once again who plays marie's once again fantastic in this uh she she reminds me of adrian barbeau a little bit which is which is uh which is pretty cool because I, I am a, i'm a fan of her work so uh yeah, so she shows up as uh, Robbie Hannon. She meets up with John. They begin dating, and they get married. And sometime later, Robbie Hannon takes a short vacation to Texas, whereupon John Holman got a call from her twin sister, Terry Martin, 
that Robbie had died. She had finally succumbed to the brain cancer. So after getting to know Terry Martin by phone, John wished to meet her in Florida. But in actuality, Marie Hilly had once again reinvented herself as Terry Martin, getting in shape and coloring her hair blonde. So that's where she gets the blonde hairdo is after that. So she had normal whatever hair, brunette, whatever, beforehand as uh, Robbie Hannon. And then now she's Terry Martin. So let's just, you know? let's just, let's just emphasize the gravity uh, of, of this situation. This bitch Marie Hilly <laughs> ba- essentially tries to kill her family, moves to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, woos this guy who I guess she assumes has money named John Holman, yeah. tells him that her brain cancer is getting worse, goes back, uh, goes to Texas, calls him pretending to be a twin sister named Terry informs him that Robbie has in fact died and there's nothing more for him to do because her body was donated to science, which (laughs) I would call bullshit on that if I was John, but him being the dumbass dude that he is just, Oh, okay. Then, then she (laughs) dyes her hair blonde, loses 20 pounds, just showing an incredible amount of restraint and and willpower. Yeah. uh, Returns back. The audacity. The audacity. Yeah. And lives with the dude as the twin sister for two months. Yeah. The neighbors were super suspicious and they tried to verify her story. And of course, nothing checked out. Um, the most ironic part of all of this and how she finally ended up getting caught was her age and description happened to match one of the FBI's most wanted fugitives. Yeah. Uh, she was taken into custody for questioning, and that's when they found out that she was, in fact, Marie Hilly. She was sent. Yeah. Marie Hilly was sentenced to life plus twenty years in eighty seven. She was arrested in nineteen eighty two. Yeah. Yeah. In nineteen eighty seven, she escaped from prison and died three days later from po- prolonged exposure to the cold. What yeah. The fuck. I know when that when I first heard that, I was like, "Damn, that's cold." But you know, that's a perfect ending for such a cold woman. <laughs> I mean, what a what a life, man! Like old as ice. Like you literally couldn't make this shit up. I mean, no, I know. Like the whole like I remember when I first saw this, I was like, we got to talk about this because of the whole twin sister thing. It's just, I mean, the arsenic poisoning was bad enough, and this is crazy enough as it is for uh, parents, a mother to poison her husband and try to kill her kids, but just for you know money, but. The whole twin sister thing just put it over the top, and you're just like, "What the fuck? This lady is just, she's not only a sociopath, but damn, she's pretty fucking clever." I have to admit. I mean, definitely she, got some big brass balls. <laughs> she she is kind of like psycho though, because yeah. there was there was like a fifty fifty percent chance that she could have come back as this Terry chick, and yeah. and John would have been like are you crazy i know you're robbie i know you 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 just died your it's like you're this is bullshit i'm calling the cops he could have there was a 50 percent chance that he could have done that she didn't know for sure that he was gonna just accept her at face value or or maybe she lived with him long enough to know he was just a yeah a dumbass he was just uh oblivious you know he was just like like you were saying look looks good to me can i still have sex with you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he was so desperate for sex, you know, at this point in time. It was just like, he'll believe anything. 
Yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> you're you're uh you're uh, uh Terry Martin, huh? Robbie's twin sister. All right, you're all right. Hey, I've always wanted to, uh, you know, do it with twins. <laughs> okay, now now our show is officially lowbrow. Um, but oh, no, come on. but I don't know, like. <clears throat> That's just that that that's that's crazy, and and I mean it's not outside of the realm of possibility. I, I like I said, I've known people uh, like this, um, and yeah, they're just the worst kind of people because they. It's like what they someone said. One of the professionals that they interviewed said that they're good at playing the game of life. They yeah, know, I love they, that. They know how to imitate human emotion and 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 empathize and all that yeah. but they're almost like an alien they're almost like someone uh pantomiming as a human being but they themselves are not a human being yeah i love that i love that quote from one of the psychologists yeah that was great that sums up a sociopath perfectly and this type of behavior that she did is kind of alien like you know the whole Oh, don't care about the percentages i don't give a shit that he might recognize me as you know, Robbie instead of Terry, you know, Robbie's twin sister. Uh, I'm just going to do it. I think a good sociopath also, like, they know how to pick their marks. Yeah. Like, they they know how to pick the people who are going to most likely buy into their lines of bullshit. I also think social, I also think serial killers also have sociopathic tendencies. I don't think they're just psychopaths. I think they have psychopathic tendencies as well as sociopathic tendencies, especially somebody like Ted Bundy, who was this very handsome man who kind of knew what he wanted and knew how to get around. I mean, even look at somebody like uh, 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 Gacy. He was a pillar of the community. Uh, he, he was he was actually involved in politics. He, he There was pictures of him, I think, with the president mm-hmm. or like, you know, so it's that there's the serial killers they were a lot more intelligent and probably uh sociopathic uh than even more they were probably psychopathic they were still had definitely had psychopathic tendencies but i think they're a bit mix of both which is the worst which is the worst kind of criminal (laughs) is somebody who's sociopathic and psychopathic and is uh equally uh skilled at both yeah, well, I mean, you look at people like Adolf Hitler, you know, uh, Saddam Hussein. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries did a segment about this called uh, it was called World Leaders on uh, my, the Ultimate Collection box set. I don't know what it's called on the regular segments, but yeah. they they oh. dive into this sociopathic uh, mindset. All, all right, right, our next segment is going to be the Roswell slash Area Fifty One connection. Now we already spoke about the Roswell incident that it was covered up by the government. Now we're going to be going into Area 51 and how that connects with Roswell. Um, we're going uh, we're going to be looking at this guy's story, Glenn Dennis, um, which, according to Robert Stack, was too compelling to be ignored. Um, in 1947, Glenn Dennis was 22 years old and out of college. Uh, that summer, he worked at a more as a mortician's assistant at a funeral home in Roswell. Two days before the infamous flying saucer story broke, uh, he re- Glenn received a strange phone call from the Roswell Air Base. Um, the, mor- the mortician mortuary officer was wanting to know what size hermetically sealed baby caskets did they have. 
Um, that afternoon, Dennis was called to transport an injured military personnel to the air base. And what, when he got to the base, he saw it was, it was surrounded by MPs, military personnel. Um, two ambulances. We, go ahead. Yeah. First off by, by the, just, just the whole asking for hermetically sealed baby caskets. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's something that you're just like, uh, what? That's some, not something you hear every day out of nowhere, you know, where, you know, somebody, you know, and then they say specifically three feet, six inches. Or did we have uh, maybe no larger than a four-foot hermetically sealed casket? You know, right at the bat, you're kind of just questioning things. You're like, I normally don't get calls like that, especially from the military, I think. Right. So <laughs> for the Roswell Air Base. Yeah, so already something was afoot. So as he arrives, he, uh, he, he two ambulances catch his attention. In the back of the ambulances, the doors are open slightly, and he could see quite a bit of wreckage, and it looked like stainless steel... That, that came in contact with a great deal of heat. The stainless steel had a bluish purplish tint to it. And one of the pieces looked like it had Egyptian hieroglyphics on it. Now, for some reason, this scene always just creeped me the fuck out because yeah, yeah, like the doors are open and you can just kind of see this alien material in the yeah. back of the, you know, it's just like bizarre. And purplish and blue and the Egyptian hieroglyphics that ties into the Roswell story where, that ties into, I think, Mac Brazel, or what is the other guy, the military guy who actually was able to take some of the wreckage home and inspected it. You notice, you know, these what look like hieroglyphics on, on the metal. Right. So that kind of ties into some of the other stories that some of the other people who actually saw the wreckage uh, were saying earlier. So, according to Glenn Dennis, the confusion on the base that day was so great, he didn't think one man knew what the other man was doing. It didn't even look like they knew each other. Like, they, these people were just brought in from different bases. Like, that's how crazy the situation was up there. They had to call in other people from the other bases. Um, Glenn eventually approaches uh, a higher-up in command from the military, and he says he has a contract with the base, uh, and he's from the funeral home. And the, the uh, officer then tells Glenn that, well, this, air, this area is, is, you know, off limits to everybody and, and you have to leave. And he had two MPs escort him out. Well, as that was happening, then this general guy steps out of the room and he brings him back. And I love this line. This guy says uh, two MPs came up and they said, sir, we have to escort you back to your mortuary. And that's when he said, "Look, Mister, somebody will be picking your bones out of the sand if you do if you go starting a, a lot of rumors." Right. That's what the <laughs> that's what the the main the, the general guy said to Glenn. You know, like, <laughs> and then you know after that, well, well before he said that, Glenn was like, you know, because he was for, at first he was telling him, you know, you didn't see anything, you didn't hear anything, which is just classic government. You know, yeah. it's almost like like a, become like a trope, like a stereotype at this yeah. point. Like you didn't see. And, and I like the actor, you know, his his uh, performance here where, you know, the actor is playing Glenn in this. He's all like, oh, don't tell me that. You know, that kind of thing where he's like, he was kind of like defensive. At first. Yeah, he's like, he's like, don't tell me what he's like. I'm a civilian. You can't tell me, you know, that. And then he said, Mr. You know, I'll have, I'll, someone will be picking your bones out of the sand if you go around spreading a lot of rumors. So they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So he goes to leave, and at that point, 
a door opens up and a nurse he personally knew came out and said, you better get out of here. You're going to get in a lot of trouble. So naturally, Glenn was curious and he was mad. And the first person he knew to contact was his nurse friend. Well, the next day, the nurse agreed to meet with him and tell him what happened at the base that day on the condition that Glenn never agreed to reveal her identity. So they met up at like what looked like some mess hall or something. It was abandoned. It was just those two in there by themselves. And she was talking about how she got she went into the supply room to get some bandages and there was officers in there and they ordered her to take notes. And there was these two old hospital gurneys with two crash bags and uh, two very mutilated small bodies. But she was saying they weren't children. One of the officers had long forceps and turned the hand over that had been severed. It was a fragile hand. It only had about four fingers. And there was these little suction cups at the end of the fingers. The head was large. The eyes were set back in the head. They only had two ear canals. There was no actual ear structure around the ear canal. There was two orifices for the nose. There was no actual nose structure. There was a one-inch slit for the mouth and no teeth, maybe just like a little piece of cartilage. And then next to that bag, there was a whole other creature that wasn't mutilated. It was fully intact. Uh, in all, the nurse claimed to see three bodies and claimed that they were not earthly in origin. And in the uh, actual segment, they, they show that she's like making doodles of these creatures. And it's just so creepy because it's like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it looked like the typical gray. Right. That you see. It was your yeah, typical you know. gray. Uh, what's known as a small gray. Um, so then after that encounter, Glenn returned to uh, his office and uh, on his desk was the infamous version of the Roswell Daily Record with the flying saucer story. Uh, he never saw that nurse again, and there was rumors that she died in a plane crash leaving the country. Now, I mean, that sounds obviously like a convenient uh, little story that, oh, yeah, she yeah. died in a plane crash leaving the country. Well, you know, if you believe... Could have been a setup. I mean, if you believe in the government, you know, it could have been a setup. They're all like, you know, we don't want you. You said something. We found out you said something. Right. You know? Yeah. But, I mean, they do that. And and again, I, I referenced the uh, silenced. I, I referenced the UFO Odyssey segment in Withville, Kentucky, where they're threatening the man. We got to do that segment next because that, yeah. that was just too good to not talk about. Uh, they talk about, you know, he the guy gets the anonymous phone call from the retired military person saying, you know, they will get to you. They will swab your doorknobs with, you know, the these this chemical warfare. They'll they can, you know, get cancer in you. And they, just saying all this creepy stuff. And it was actually yeah. reported. So, yeah, they probably killed her. They probably took her out and covered it up. If you if you do believe all of this, which, again, yeah. this guy's story is, is, is just a story. But I mean. You know, well, I mean, the whole stuff with the woman, like what he's saying, I mean, it sounds it sounds very detailed to the point where I don't know. It sounds like when he originally told this story, this is not around the time when Gray's or I guess. He, I guess this type of stuff was well known, but at the same time, maybe I don't know. See, I don't know. It's just, it could be just a story, but there's just there's a lot of details here. It seems kind of. I don't know. It seems a little bit too detailed to me that it was just completely made up. 
And I'm sorry, but I've gotten a little biased to the point to where if it's on Unsolved Mysteries, I've come to expect a certain quality from them that yeah. I don't even I, I I hold Unsolved Mysteries up to a, as far as journalism is concerned. I hold them up to a higher regard than even like the news, uh, the network news. But then we got Ghost Boy. So, you know, that was just some mom trying to get money. So, well, you know. I don't blame I don't blame Unsolved Mysteries for that because I think Unsolved Mysteries has already when it comes to ghost stories they've already kind of pretty much gone out and said you know let's face it we love these kind of stories you know and, yeah, and they exactly. kind of just present it and go here it is you know we're just presenting it we're by no means yeah. you know but this Glenn Dennis guy I feel like he had to have been vetted to a certain extent before he came on this show and if you see the guy I mean. I'm pretty good at smelling bullshit, and uh, this is a very older gentleman. He seemed very much like a straight shooter. Like, I mean, just just his age. The guy looked like he was in his 70s. Uh, I, I just don't, you know, he wasn't plugging a book or anything. I don't see really what his, why he would care to even go on a show like that at that age unless he just wanted to tell his story about what he encountered. Yeah. So, um... The nurse apparently dies on a plane crash, leaving the country. Uh, he says he believes the nurse, nurse's story because, uh, according to him, he didn't think the nurse knew how to lie, which, you know, is just kind of a, uh, you know, a nicety that he's... An example of the times. Yeah. You know, that's sort of the way that people thought back then. Right. Yeah. You know. And, and then they bring in the connection with Area 51, which is then uh, the other part of this particular segment and of course as we know area 51 is a secretive military base located in the nevada desert several 100 several hundred miles northwest of las vegas near the white sands missile range it's located at the center of ufo research and legends of extraterrestrial folklore folklore is located 600 miles west of roswell new mexico where the infamous roswell ufo crashed in 1947 but some believe that the ufo that crashed there may have been sent to area 51 i mean it's referenced in Independence Day, so, but that, that doesn't mean it's true. But you know, I, I, I always found that kind of funny because the whole thing in Independence Day, where it's all like, "What do you mean Area 51?" It's like, "Oh, that doesn't exist." He was like, "Ah, uh, that's not entirely true." Uh. <laughs> you know, and then the president's all like, "What? What do you mean by this?" It's like, "Why wasn't I notified about any of this?" It's like, two words, sir: plausible deniability. <laughs> Uh, it is not seen on any map, and even though it can be seen from a ridge by the naked eye, the military claims it does not exist. Well, it's seen from Google Maps, but, you know, uh, it apparently has been there since the 1960s. It is a site where advanced military aircraft have been tested there at night. Bob Lazar, who is, I think he's uh, interviewed here, claims that he worked near a, at a site near Area 51, and that he had worked with UFOs and that the government has them hidden. He mentioned uh, a couple different models of UFOs. He had them sketched as well. Um, Bob claims in March of 1899, he, 19, March of eight, 1989, at 1889, <laughs> Damn. He, witnessed the, he witnessed the test flight of a UFO by the government. And some believe Bob is a fraud, while others are certain that he's genuine, and there are other witnesses who claim to seeing the UFOs as well. Uh, when Unsolved Mysteries asked the government about Area 51, of course, they denied that the base existed. Uh, Bob believes the secrecy is not just hiding alien spacecraft, but also the bodies of aliens. Um, I love how the government, in regards to Area 51, is always like this. It doesn't exist. 
Uh, it's on. I can see it on Google Maps, and there's pictures of a fence that's around the area that says trespassers will be shot. It doesn't exist. Stop lying to me. I know we know it exists. Whatever is going on there, whether it's UFO testing or experiments or aircraft testing, don't lie to me and say it doesn't exist. I'm sorry. Yeah, I thought I, I loved it. I loved in the episode how the Bob Lazar, you know, which, okay, now if I said that Glenn Dennis seemed believable, Bob Lazar comes off as suspect. Yeah, he does. I I am very dubious on Bob Lazar. Um, he seems he's got an air of, um, just nonchalantness. He's not. He's very nonchalant in how he's talking about. It. He's very aloof. Um, yeah. And he's talking about how he witnessed the flight of one of the UFOs that they were testing at the time because uh, they had him work on a different kind of propulsion system that was not propeller or fuel. You know, like a jet engine. It was a different kind of propulsion system, the kind that he was interested in at the time and so they brought out a, a ufo call that they named the sport model and he was yeah, he was that. he was <laughs> talking he, he, he was talking yeah that's hilarious <laughs> like, it's, like it's a like it's a it's like it's a convertible or America, something uh, fuck yeah <laughs> we're gonna call it the sport model come get your sport model ufo yeah, so he's talking about how this this UFO they they brought out, and you know it's your typical saucer. You know the the yeah. image that you have in your mind right now of a UFO, that's what it looked like. Um, he said that it it hovered up uh, a few feet in the air and it got even higher, and then he said the noise completely stopped, and he said how bizarre it was seeing something so massive or so big in the sky making absolutely zero noise. And I actually thought about that, like picture in your mind's eye. This just very large craft. It could be a jet or anything. Just hovering in in midair, making that would no be sound. so bizarre. That would be That'd scary, be so, and it would be scary. It's like the Belgian UFO case, which would be another one we could talk. We definitely should talk about sometime. Yeah, because that one, you know, that's the same sort of thing. They're seeing this giant object that's just it, floating in the sky. It's not making any noise. <laughs> You're just like, uh... No, that's the moment where you realize I'm not alone in this universe. Because in <laughs> in physics, for a big motherfucker to be up in the air, there's got to be a lot of motherfuckers inside of it that's making it go, whether it be engines or propellers and such. So yeah. us as human beings have become accustomed to the bigger the fucking thing we see, the louder it's going to get. Like a big old rocket that we shoot into space, it's got some big old rocket engines on it, and there's a lot of noise and fire and so on and so forth. Therefore, it makes it all the more stranger when you see this large saucer-like device floating around with seemingly no problems and not making any noise whatsoever. That is scary because it doesn't make sense in our logical brain. Exactly. That's what this guy claims he sees. He said it went, it flew to the right, flew to the re left, and he goes, it was rather uneventful, then kind of laughs cheekily and goes, well, as uneventful as a flying saucer, you know, a test flight of a flying saucer could be. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy's a character he also says that he saw alien autopsy photos he said they are black and white he says i could not tell you from what time period these things came from but uh it was uh the being was dead uh it was just an upper chest photo it was like a t type um incision and uh what was removed was just one large 
organ-like thing. Hmm. Um, so then they... That inter- ties into this, like, video that was aired on Fox, you know, Alien Autopsy, you know. It's a very popular is- video that not only was aired on Fox, like, many, many TV shows aired this video. It's 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 kind of an infamous video at this point. Um, yeah, a lot of, yeah, TV uh, stations aired it, yeah. It shows in black and white uh, an actual alien autopsy being conducted. I mean, they they cut uh, into its its head to sh- show its brain. But I think it's recently been debunked. Like as like it it has yeah. it has been debunked, uh, which yeah. is kind of sad. But honest- they did a good job. It was a pretty good you know you know could try there you know good practical effects on the alien you know stuff like that. Do your job trying to make it look like an old video. So. The coolest thing I thought uh, the, I thought about the uh, the alien autopsy from the faked video, though, uh, w- one one thing that I thought was just like, I love, like except other than Randall Frakes hosting, <laughs> Captain Riker, you know, uh, hosting the the uh, video. Yeah, because he did. Randall Frakes hosted the video like alien autopsy, fact <laughs> for fiction. <laughs> Well, I, I, I like because there's a scene in the autopsy where they take a scalpel and, you know, because because aliens are, are, are what are known as greys, the type that you think of with the big head and the black eyes. Uh-huh. They take a scalpel and they make slits on the top of his of, of the being's eyes and they pull down the eyes like a film. And then you see these big ass humanoid human like eyeballs with with an with an iris and a pupil and the yeah. eyes are, are are almost rolled in the back of its head uh-huh. and so it's almost it's almost suggesting that the the black that you see in the alien's eyes is almost like a third eyelid or something like that that yeah. keeps them from having to blink or something like that uh-huh. um so I, I thought that was pretty cool and, and, and it seems like a, maybe that's what that really is you know on an actual gray um yeah. But anyway, um, so yeah. You interviewed this guy who did the UFO. Did he help write the UFO encyclopedia or something? They it's... interviewed that guy. Is that who they interview next? Yes. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about how, um, from the Lazar comment about how he saw the autopsy photos, not the faked ones, but he apparently saw genuine ones. Uh, they, the next guy they interview was talking about how this sh- this shows that we're dealing with um, not just one species, but several species of aliens that all have several different motives, which is interesting because that's something that I was mentioning in the previous uh, UFO segment is how uh, the, the, the alien crafts are, you know, some are similar in description, but then there's others that are completely different. Yeah. Going back to the Belgian UFO, they were triangle, triangular yeah. shaped and, and ginormous. And then uh-huh. o- other ones are your more traditional saucer shape and how there's variations in the look. even have video footage of the Area 51, like, would look like a light in the sky. It was kind of blurry, though. So it's like, eh, I don't know what that is. Like, it could be, it could just be test aircraft. Yeah, yeah. I, I love uh, I, I love like the footage in Unsolved Mysteries that they show, like the home, like you know the home video camera footage they show because it's literally the worst quality. It's at like like two two thirty p or something like that. Two forty, yeah, two forty p or, or you know, like one one forty p, like below two forty p. Yeah, it's just like the, and and then they always like because you know at, back at the time like nobody really knew about like digital recording and so they they would always say things like. 
this 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 footage has been specially enhanced digitally enhanced and, and really all it is is a digital zoom that they did but you know <laughs> n- nobody would know that terminology back back in those days um but it's not like the movies or the tv shows where it's like a science fiction thing and it's like zoom in enhance and then it just it's it's a blurry image and then the computer just magically oh yeah like that bullshit like csi and stuff like that where they they zoom in on the reflection of of something in somebody's pupil and then they're able to like zoom in some more and get a perfect picture of the killer. Or yeah. Whatever. It goes from a grainy, like a grainy pixelated blur to like this perfect, like 1080, like definition of like what a face, you know, like a, the, the computer can just somehow enhance it to make it. It's like, it's like a, the computer doesn't have that, that graphical information because the picture wasn't taken well enough. So there's no way that it could compensate for that. Those pixels that just aren't there to fill in and, and make yeah. a full quality image unless there was some kind of uh, guessing on the computer magic. part. Or it's magic. Or magic, yeah. Magic is, is uh, you know... Or, or or it's an alien computer that they stole. Hey man, we can talk about we can talk about UFOs and ghosts being real all day long, but whenever you start talking about magic being real, that's when I gotta call bullshit. I'm trying to keep some credibility to this podcast. I, I'm joking. I know. Come on. <laughs> I know. I don't believe in magic. The only magic that is the magic tricks and stuff like that. That's sleight of hand stuff. Only, only, uh, you know, like, you know, Bigfoot can be fighting alien aliens in the forest, but magic is definitely bullshit. <laughs> so you don't believe in the Philosopher's Stone? Man, I don't even know what the hell that is. <laughs> so, yeah, with Area 51, actually, recently, the government, actually not too recently, but in July, July 14th, 2003, the government actually did acknowledge the existence of Area 51 as a, a place of intense government research. What that research is, we do not know. Yeah, I mean, w- with the age of Google Maps, and I mean, Google Maps was probably the most hated thing as far as government agencies were concerned that like ever came out. Because yeah. now, now you can literally just look anywhere on the globe and get a pretty damn detailed look at, at what's there. Yeah, that's where they can. That's where the proof was. Like Area Fifty One. What is this? I could clearly see some kind of facility right here. Uh... <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't do the whole blackout on Google Maps or Google Earth because uh-huh. they they do that on some locations. Some locations are blacked out on Google Earth. Yeah, I, I like I like the uh, the description of Area Fifty One too. It's known as Groom Lake, and what was it? there was like a couple other ones. Oh yeah, I have those. It's uh the ranch, the funny farm, Dreamland, and Groom Lake. Dreamland and the Funny Farm. <laughs> that's those. That, that's such a, a funny farm. That's such a 1950s like nickname for something. Yeah, go to the Funny Farm now. See, isn't that a term for an insane asylum? <laughs> I think that's or an um, institution. Well, that, 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 needless to say, that was probably a nickname given to the uh, given by the skeptics. I would assume. Yeah, you're coming from the Funny Farm. Oh, that's also. That's also a Chevy Chase comedy as well. Funny Farm. <laughs> so yeah, Area 51 definitely exists. Um, advanced research goes on there. Um, what it is, we do not know. We're not privy to know. Uh, if they make a guess, I think it's definitely experiment. Either it still is experimental aircraft, 
or it or it was experimental aircraft. Maybe it's a base that's no longer being used because it's not blacked out. So maybe it's some kind of just nothing's there anymore. And well, they just don't want people on there because it still is technically government owned property and government facility, but it's it's not active anymore. Possibly. I would think that nowadays with our technology, if there is some kind of research going on, uh, well, I know for a fact there still is. Um, they or would maybe just, it's underground. Right. Like, that's what's Independence Day. In the Independence Day, it's just underground. That's what I was going to say. Like, I, I believe it would be underground. That way you avoid any kind of uh, potential for photographic, you know, uh, intrusive photographic yeah. proof. Like, you know, you can Google Earth that all day. You'll never find it. Um, yeah. I, I've, I've heard crazy stories from coast to coast with stuff like a whole side of a mountain opening up <laughs> that people have seen. Just a whole side of a mountain just opening it up and seeing all these, like, facilities and whatever weapons and shit like inside of a mountain i believe it i can totally see the government doing shady shit like that have you ever seen have you ever seen that movie um the manchurian candidate yeah 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 like the part where dude it always spooks the hell out of me where he's having flashbacks and they're in this like island one or the or the remake the remake yeah yeah, it spooks me so hardcore when it shows flashbacks and they're on this like clandestine island in this weird like like facility and like they're all like under this kind of hypnosis and there's these crazy looking uh kind of like guards who are wearing these like black veils over their heads and they're like making them do all these tests and like they're making they're commanding one guy to kill the other and all that other kind of stuff and he yeah. just does it without like on command and uh-huh. and that's just that the amount of like I totally believe that kind of shit goes on it, it is unbelievable I totally I, I believe in all that but at the same time I want nothing to do with it that shit exactly is so creepy that is beyond creepy yeah. to me like. It's like you just don't you 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 believe maybe that this stuff actually happens and occurs, but you definitely do not want to be pri- privy to the fact that it is absolutely one hundred percent reality, because when that happens, then you're either experiencing it for yourself, or you know, you, you come across it by accident, and then that's not good. Or maybe you just have you just have to live with the burden of knowing that this you know certain sh- you know it's like the people who come back or from- or yeah or you're just a part of it and then you get out of it and then you have to live with the fact that you know all this sh- secret clandestine shit goes on and you just have to go around like life is normal and, and nothing's you know nothing's wrong and everything's just sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> Everyone's going to live happily ever after with the knowledge that, like, the government's doing secret experiments on people and they got all this other secret shit that nobody knows about. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's... It, that we, stuff we, is scarier than aliens in some way. Yeah, no, it really, it really is. <laughs> it really is. Now we're going, now we're plausible. going, we're going down the rabbit hole now and we, we, are, we have officially turned into Coast to Coast AM. I am Art Bell <laughs> and you're George Norrie at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, that that show can be pretty, pretty scary, and that's what I was. That's where I was. That's where that's where I got the whole story I was telling about the side of a mountain opening up. Because just imagine that. Imagine seeing that. 
That's oh just... yeah, but I mean, it, it, that would be cool, you know, to a certain extent. But like, as far as experimentations on people, well, that would still be terrifying to me because it would be like just walking around, hiking or something at night, camping around, whole side of a fucking mountain opens up. Well, what the fuck? <laughs> All right, things aren't what they seem. Yeah, yeah, that. Uh... But with, uh, you know, with Roswell and Area 51 connection, uh, I, you know, Area 51 is really close to Roswell. So, I mean, it would kind of make sense that they try to have a special facility maybe built for if there were alien bodies that were found and if there was alien spacecraft and technology, it would kind of make sense that they want to build something as close to, you know, where they might be carry, holding some of the stuff anyway. And but then it's like, how long did it take them to build it? But I think Nevada is probably a good place anyway, because it's pretty secluded in whatever, you know, desert in the middle of a desert somewhere. So probably not everything is there. There's probably other stuff that's at other places like that other guy was saying when he's talking about Roswell, he thinks maybe one of the bodies might be in the FBI headquarters or something. There's probably multiple different places. I would not be surprised. Yeah, I mean, I think like you said, I think Roswell or Area 51 is probably an older kind of like, oh, that was so the 60s and 70s, man. Like the new place now is, you know, there, there's probably like a newer, like more, you know, fit for the modern technology kind of place. Area 52. I, yeah, and, and I would, I would, I would, you know, it would stand to reason that it is probably underground. Um, yeah. So I think that's all we have on uh, Area 51. Uh, don't fret. There are so many more UFO segments coming. Um, I believe... Segments, mysterious legends, you know, crime stuff. More bizarre murders, um, unexplained deaths. Good God, fraud. Uh, that's, that's a topic that does not get talked about enough in Unsolved Mysteries, but is a great topic. Fraud, um... Uh, that's a sociopathic in a completely different kind of way. Um, but yeah. yet again, uh, I am Josh Cannon. You can look up my YouTube channel at uh, youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts and then the number two. Um, I do all kinds of game reviews. Inter it, basically, inter anything entertainment, games, music, movies, shows, I talk about it, do funny stuff. Uh, it's very entertaining if you like informative educational kind of stuff but also like to get a little chuckle here and there I do top tens uh you can check out mike's channel uh go ahead and plug your channel mike <laughs> uh check it out at uh, ocb communications on youtube uh there's only one ocb communications so you just go on youtube and search ocb communications probably if you even type in ocb communications on google you'll probably find my channel uh it, it's pretty easy to find I do all kinds of stuff. I do movie reviews, gameplays, uh, commentary tracks. Uh, I do a lot of stuff. It's 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 kind of a catch-all kind of channel. Um, so yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, and uh, yeah, definitely check out Josh's channel. Uh, I, I'm you know I, I think he does a lot of good work. So it, you know he I think he needs a little more subs. So definitely help him out. 